This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladay. Alright, hello, 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 hello. That, that's a couple extra hellos for you. Uh, it's Fans on the Run, I'm Ethan Alexanian, yada yada yada. It, it's, I, I don't even know why I bothered to introduce the show anymore. It's uh, 50-something episodes. If, if you're tuning in, you might know who I am by now. I, I hope all four <laughs> listeners of this show. Um, but yeah, um, after this episode, I'm, I'm going to be taking about a month break. Because I've been going nonstop since April of 2020. And, uh, you know, everyone deserves a little vacation now and then. Um, but I digress. You'll, you might be able to tell in this episode if I'm just running out of fuel or not. And maybe you'll see why I possibly need a vacation. <laughs> but, as is the, the trademark phrase of the show, I digress. Uh, we, we have a pretty cool guest for you today. Uh, he's a radio personality out of Boston who hosts WUMB's Breakfast with the Beatles. Chachi Lepret, welcome to Fans on the Run. Hello, Ethan. It's a pleasure to be here. I've uh, listened to your podcast before. been working straight for a year, so yeah, you deserve a break, especially if you're up in Canada in the cold weather. So Yeah, oh, although my, my break won't exactly be during warm weather. <laughs> That's okay, as long as you take a break. I can't believe it. Time has just been crazy the last year or so. So we all deserve yeah. a break, and that includes you. The, the last year has simultaneously felt um, like it just happened like that, mm -hmm. and it also feels like it, it was 10 years. Yeah, exactly. It's just nuts. A thing that happened yesterday seems like weeks ago sometimes. So Yeah. Uh, but it's well, a pleasure it's like to be dog here. dog years. Exactly. It is like dog years. It's, uh, but it is a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Well, it, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Thank you. So, actually, I'll, I'll ask you this first. I usually save all the plugging for the end, but um, you have an event coming up, don't you? Yes, I do. It's going to be on the evening of George Harrison's birthday. It's called My Sweet George, a George Harrison birthday celebration. And uh, I'm co Actually, wait, hold on. Oh, yes. I, I, I just realized... It's the day after. It, yeah. it, it is in past tense. Is, is this okay? You can edit that out or you want to start yeah. over? Either one's fine. Oh, no, it's it's good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that's kind of like the shtick of the show. No one knows what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, But, so, if you pay attention to the fans on the run social media is like a good follower... Uh, you will have heard a little about the event. Chachi, could you tell us a little about this event that happened yesterday? It was fantastic, uh, Ethan. And what we've done is uh, I have a partner uh, in our Beatle adventures. His name is Eric Taros. He is a Beatles film archivist, and he worked on Eight Days a Week. He recently worked on the Bee Gees film. He's a historian, Beatles film archivist. Uh, he has worked with Apple Records, so he is my partner. We've been doing these shows, and we originate out of Boston, and we've done a handful of shows at the Regent Theater, and when pre-COVID, we, we would get up on stage for a couple of hours and play different clips from Eric Taros's brilliant collection of rare, uh, unreleased Beatles films. And we, Rare unreleased Beatles films. Yes, many that he's owned, many that he buys in auction. 
He, like what, what kind of stuff are we talking about? Things that you've never seen before, home movies, uh, rare clips. Uh, he's been collecting for years. He buys home movies at auction. People who may have seen the Beatles and brought cameras with them. And he has, uh, he has compiled this amazing collection that, you know, even uh, baffles Mark Lewis. And Mark stayed with him for a month just to go through everything he has. And so he's a, a pretty interesting guy. Uh, he has been a Beatles fan for all his life. And he's collected films from everywhere. And so we do these different shows showing these films. We're also working on a film project together. But in COVID, um, our home base is a, a theater called the Regent Theater in Boston. I'll, I'll say Arlington, Massachusetts, a little bit outside of Boston. It, they're our home theater. They're great. They, they really accommodate us. They love what we do. We've had some great shows. So uh, what we've done during COVID is have virtual shows, but not showing movies. What we've done is honored Beatle birthdays. We did it on October 9th with John Lennon called Across the Universe. And we got a handful, uh, you know, 15 artists, different musicians across the country performing John songs. So last night we celebrated George's birthday with a show called My Sweet George, a birthday celebration. And we had 13 different bands from all over the country, all singing George Harrison songs. And it was live. And we had an auction, and we raised a bunch of money to help the Regent Theater. The Regent Theater is over 100 years old. It started in the vaudeville days, and it still exists today. So we've done these virtual fundraisers to help the theater sustain during this COVID downtime. And last night was a big success. Lots of viewers all over the world. And what was great is there's a suggested donation of 11.99. But we realize COVID is it's a tough situation for people. So you could either watch it for free or we suggest a small donation of eleven ninety nine. And we did very, very well. It was a lot of fun. So thank you for asking about that. Um, actually I'll I'll segue in, into this with the with the question. What's your what's your favorite George Harrison song? You know, everyone asks those questions, don't they? And every day it changes. And I ask a few of them throughout the show. <laughs> yes. And every day it changes. And, you know, my favorite album, I will say, is All Things Must Pass. Well, I was going to ask that question. There you, you go. Just saved, you just saved me the, the <laughs> two seconds. I, and I love that box set. I bought it in 1970. I grew up just outside of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I bought it in Harvard Square at a store called the Harvard Coop, which had like two floors of records back in the day. And, uh, you know, I sit here and I wonder what is my favorite George song? And it's hard to tell. It's hard to say, because it changes all the time. And so you have me on the spot. Uh, but I will throw one out. Um, uh, gee, uh, let's just say, um, "A Waiting on You All" is perhaps one of my favorites. So let's start. Let's just go with that for now. But it changes all the time. Well, it it's kind of the same with me. Although more often than not, I kind of go back to "Isn't It a Pity." Great song. Which version? The long one or the short one? The long one. <laughs> yeah, of course. I love that track, Tachi, too. I, listen, I, I love prog rock. It's always going to be the long version of anything. <laughs> well, on on my Beatles show this morning, we played uh, uh, An Hour of George uh, in tribute of his pre-birthday. Uh, and next week, we'll do another hour. So we, we 
put you know we uh, bookend yeah. George's birthday by playing well, extra George, and he's my favorite yeah. Beatle. So if you're well, gonna ask me, technically he's the Beatle with two birthdays, so he gets two birthday shows. You know what? And I'll tell you this: every year on my on my show and on my uh, social media, every, one year I'll say February 24th, and then people will say I'm wrong. The next year I'll say February 25th, and no one says a word. And so next year I'll say the twenty fourth again and create more controversy. Uh, but yeah, this this no, what side of midnight did he land on? No one quite knows. But before George died, he did confirm it was the twenty fourth. But we celebrate on the twenty fifth. Yeah. Well, there's uh, I, I did an episode of another podcast I, I co-host, Shameless Plug, uh, when they was fab, and uh, Ed was. Or my co-host Ed Chen was telling me about his theory about how it was the 24th because um, it, during the war they they postponed daylight savings time in England mm. for like a year. So technically, if the clocks had been set right, he would have been born at like 11 p.m. It's one of those mysteries that will live forever. Uh, and George confirmed it, but it's not widely known. Uh, but there's always someone out there saying, hey, you're supposed to be the Beatle guy. Why are you saying it's the 24th and you have to explain? Uh, but I believe it's the 24th. But we are celebrating it on the 25th on our show this year. Yeah. <laughs> Next year will be the 24th. <laughs> it, it's You're playing both sides here. That's correct. If you play both sides, you'll always come out a winner. <laughs> that, that is, that's the whole idea, Ethan. You're very and much correct. I, I think that's actually my life motto. <laughs> yeah. Play both sides and you'll come out a winner. Nah, well, I agree with that. I think that's a good way to lead your life. I agree. And so now I, I kind of circle back to the beginning, mm -hmm. the dawn. How did you first discover the Beatles? Well, I'm a first-generation Beatle fan. Uh, I was uh, alive and watching the Ed Sullivan Show on the night of February 9th, 1964. Like I said, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I had two older brothers and an older sister. Uh, and um, I was, uh, you know, I just went right along with it, and I was sucked into the vacuum and the hysteria the week before at school. I remember kids were, like, going crazy because the Beatles were going to be on the Ed Sullivan Show. So I discovered the Beatles on that night on the Ed Sullivan Show, watching it on our little TV, and my first impressions were, you know, Ringo was the greatest. I loved the fact that he was on a riser, a little bit in the background, having fun, uh, playing drums, and so I... He had uh, all those arrows pointing at him. Yes, exactly. So I was drawn to Ringo first, and for a while, he was my favorite Beatle, uh, and that was the instrument I chose to play, drums. I'd never had much luck with guitars, but uh, I was, uh, I considered myself, a, you know, I had a little bit of rhythm to play drums, so I was in bands and so on. I have a drum kit downstairs in my house today, and although I don't play. So I was drawn to Ringo, but as time went on through the 60s, especially in the latter part, you know, during Abbey Road, and uh, George began to blossom as a songwriter, and uh, before the end of the 60s, I was, a, George was my favorite Beatle, and as I look back with the luxury of time, uh, the whole idea of why I loved it so much was it must have been tough for George. He learned how to write songs later than John and Paul. Uh, he was in the shadow of the two biggest songwriters in the world, and yeah. he survived it. 
he blossomed and became a fantastic songwriter. And so to survive the shadow of John and Paul and become, you know, a fantastic songwriter and musician, I mean, I give him lots of credit for that. Were you were you conscious of that, like, in the late 60s, or, or is it more like looking back with hindsight? A, a little bit of both. I, Because as I was loving George more and more, of course, I'd noticed hey, he only had one song this album. He only had two songs. So that song was written by John and Paul for George. But in retrospect, uh, I think uh, subconsciously, that was what was going on. And as we look back today, you know, it's true. I mean, the guy just, like, blossomed as a songwriter. And John and Paul should have gave him a little more time. There were so many great songs that didn't end up on Beatle albums. Certainly there was a few on All Things Must Pass. And uh, so, and as George said, when he put out All Things Must Pass, he was it was kind of like he was constipated from all the songs that he had backed up. And he just let them all out and put them in this elaborate box set. So, and that was the greatest moment. Uh, Ethan, when I bought that box set at the Harvard Coop and opened it up with the three albums, and I had never seen anything like it before. And the poster. How, how much did that box cost back in the day? You know, I don't know for sure, but I think it might have been in the eleven dollar range, twelve dollars oh, wow. perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, born in this, and I'm. I was born in 2002, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm used to records being like, you know, $20, $30. Yeah, yeah. And when I get old records with the little stickers that say, like, three ninety nine. Yes, right. I paid a lot more than three ninety nine <laughs> for this record. Right, I have a copy right here, actually, of Introducing the Beatles, still in the shrink wrap, with one of those cell stickers on it, and it says, special record price, $1.98. Uh, and I bought that as a kid and, and kept it, and it's still in the shrink wrap with that sticker on it. Is it an authentic? Yes, it is. Uh, it's funny, because I have like 13, 14 different copies, and a bunch of them are um, bootlegs, and some of them are originals. So I have a good collection of both. See, I, I collect a lot of Beatle records. Mm-hmm. I don't own a single copy of Introducing the Beatles. And really? that's mainly because I'm scared of that album. Because <laughs> I, I like knowing what I'm buying. Well, this, And yeah. that album got bootlegged so much. Yes. That, um, you know, I'm terrified. I don't know. It, like, there's things, oh, you, you know, George's Shadow. It's like, well, that's obvious. But then you have to look at the back cover. And it's like, if you see little tiny bits of ink missing then it's fake there is a long checklist that you have to go down to determine whether or not you have an original and most people don't Uh, but it's always fun to do that and I have done it and I've discovered I have about three or four originals and uh, the majority of them are bootlegs and it's you know it's you know I'm I'm very lucky guy I've been on the radio for 39 years in Boston and been had a Beatles show for over 25 years in Boston. And through the years, people just uh, tend to give me stuff because they figure, you know, you should own this, which is how I acquired two of my three butcher covers. They were gifts. Wait, hold on. Yes. People just gave you butcher covers. Yes. Um, back in the day when they didn't, you know, they didn't realize what they were giving me. Uh, and... But you know what's interesting too, uh, Ethan, this afternoon, when we're done after this, I have to go to Marshfield, Massachusetts, about an hour from my house, 
And I have a friend I've known for years. He owned a restaurant uh, locally, and he closed it before COVID, luckily. He sold it, and now he's going to move away. So he called me the other day and said, listen, I'm moving away. I'm cleaning my house. I have a very rare Beatles item I want to give to you. Are you around on Saturday afternoon? And I said, well, listen, I am I'm going to be with Ethan uh, doing an interview. I will meet you an hour after that. So at three o'clock today, I'm meeting, and it's interesting too, his name is Fred Sullivan. So, okay. Yeah, so I'm meeting Fred at a restaurant where he's going to bestow on me a rare Beatles item. I don't know what it is, and I'm looking forward Beatle to it. Would this Beatle item happen to be a, a really big shoe? It could be. Yeah, really <laughs> it could be very much so. But you know what? I'll have to come back on that, your, that's the your only show clever and tell pun. You. That's the only clever pun you fuckers are getting from me today. <laughs> well, if you come up with any more, we will gladly accept them. But we'll see what the item is, and uh, maybe I'll make a return visit to fill you in. So, when you said butcher covers, that people gave them, are these are um, second states or one of? Well, here's I got an original one, which is framed, uh, sitting over here, um, and then I have two pasteovers. One with the pasteovers still on it, but you can see Ringo's doctor's smock. And another one was given to me with the pasteover already steamed off. So I have one with it on, one with it steamed off, and one original copy. Uh, but there is an interesting butcher cover story that originates out of uh, Needham, Massachusetts, which is not far from me. And I have all the documentation. Uh, when the butcher cover was pulled, Capitol Records uh, sent 57,000 copies, or, no, I'm sorry, 50,700 copies to the Needham Town Dump. I have all the documentation from Capitol to the Town Dump, giving them strict orders of how to dispose of over 50,000 butcher covers. Uh, and, I, and I remember the instructions were, you have a hole, you put water in it, you throw the 50,000 plus copies in, then you throw more water on it, and then you cover it with dirt. And they had to sign a document saying that they will not dig these up and all of them will be destroyed. But I also have information from some the guys who were working there that day who uh, slipped a few copies to the side and kept them. But they are somewhere in the Needham Town dump buried from all those years ago. Has anyone ever gone and tried to dig dig anything up you know eric taros and i were talking about that because we were going to go to the town dump and videotape uh, us there talking to workers trying to find the location where they were buried uh but at this point digging them up i, I don't think that would uh, amount to much <laughs> well there was this the story that like back in the the 80s there was this game for the atari that was so bad that they dumped them all in this like uh, like dump in New Mexico mm -hmm. and just buried them all. Wow. And those things are worth a lot of money today. Oh, no, they're worthless. Oh, they are? Yeah. Because I know that the early games, the machines uh, might be worth something, but no, I didn't know this. They dumped them all. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, actually, we, we talked about how you in, or, uh, discovered the Beatles. What was the first Beatle album you remember getting? And do you remember where you got it? Yes. Um, 
I don't remember where I got it, but I remember the first Beatle album, and it is my favorite album still to this day, Meet the Beatles. My favorite Beatle album. Most people say Abbey Road, you know, Sgt. Pepper perhaps, but for me it was Meet the Beatles, because even today when I play it on original vinyl, because that's what I play on my show, I do play vinyl, um, it just brings me right back to 1964, and the cover is so iconic, and the liner notes and the photo of them of the of the Beatles on the back, uh, but I do remember buying all my records at Harvey Coop, but I also bought record Beatle records at a little mom and pop store in Watertown, Massachusetts. I take the trolley and go and pick up my Beatle forty fives, and for the most part, I have everything I bought as a kid. Some in great shape, some not so. I was um, going to ask, were you? Were you one of those kids who took good care of your things, or one of those kids that, you know, just kind of, you know? Well, here's what I would do. I would do my best to get enough money to buy two of everything. Even at that age, I was like, I got to get one to save and one to play. Uh, so, in fact... You're a very smart man. In fact, I have, and you know, in answer to your question, I have a copy of Meet the Beatles in the shrink wrap... Uh, with the sticker on it, and I purchased it at Jordan Marsh in downtown Boston, which is no longer there. They used to sell Beatle records, and uh, so I still have uh, one of the early ones that I bought uh, in the 60s at Jordan Marsh. I can't remember what the price was on the sticker. I have it sitting in a pile next to me. Uh, but yeah, Meet the Beatles is the first record, uh, and my favorite record to this day. I just love that album. So you actually bought two of everything when I could I was you know of course I'm a little kid uh, uh, didn't have much money but um, my mother would try to do anything I asked her so <laughs> so for the most part I bought two of everything and uh, would so I destroyed one of them by using them so much and playing it a lot but I always had a good one to keep for the most part you know so I did I, I did a good job of saving Mostly everything, although I'm still angry at my mother who's passed away. She threw away my original Beatles sweatshirt from the 60s. You know, the one with the, you know, Paul holding the cigarette, Ringo's on the chair. So that was gone. That was destroyed. I had a song book uh, that was taken. Um, and so a couple of things I lost, but for the most part, I still have everything. Uh, and I have a storage facility that most of the stuff is in. And... And I have everything here. I, I've come, I even have a bunch of Beatle autographs because I've had the pleasure of interviewing and meeting three of the four. I started in radio in 1981, and by that time, John was already gone. But, you know, down in Boston, all through the 70s, when John moved to New York, I always said, you know, there's a Beatle four hours away. I could just drive to New York, sit out front of the Dakota. Someday I'm going to do that, and I never did, and then we lost John. But... I've interviewed Paul uh, a bunch of times and had some really cool one-on-one -on -one experiences with him, uh, courtesy of a friend of mine who's a celebrated uh, vocalist, um, and he gave me the opportunity to meet Paul many times. I'm, um, I don't want to go on too much, but and let you. I want you to ask questions, but yeah. I, I, I became very close to singer Tony Bennett. Okay. And I was the first rock DJ to play his music in 1986 on WBCN, which was a huge radio station in America, or came out of Boston. And Tony heard about it, and we became friends. And from then on, 
to this day, I'm still buddies with him. He took me to Abbey Road Studios, me and my lovely wife, Stephanie, to watch him record with Paul McCartney for his duets album. No way. And George Michael as well. But the interesting story was we get to London and we're getting ready for the session. And we got a call in the morning from Danny uh, Bennett, Tony's son, saying, hey, Paul just canceled. He has the flu. Now, it was during the Heather divorce. So we don't know if, I don't know if it was the flu or it was the divorce, but he canceled. But we did get to spend a lot of time at Studio Two and watch Tony sing a duet with George Michael, which was amazing. So we were, I was so depressed, you know, I was kind of in tears, you know, here was my chance to be with Paul at Studio Two. And my wife, Steph, said, you know, something always, be- you know, better comes along, so hang in there. And she was right. A year later, Paul wrote the Oratoria, uh, which played at Carnegie Hall. So I, Danny took me in to New York to watch that. Paul was in the audience and was sitting in a box uh, at Carnegie. And Danny's there, and I'm there, and Judy Collins is there, a couple of celebrities. And I distinctly remember, Ethan, a, a guy, uh, an usher walks in and hands Danny a little note. And he hands it to me, and it says, you're invited to uh, John Eastman's home for an after party with Paul. So we were like, holy cow. So we hop in our, our car and we go to the Upper East Side in New York and we go up to this elaborate penthouse. There were police everywhere in the lobby and we go up on the elevator and the door opens and we're right in uh, John Eastman's, uh, Linda's brother, John, yeah. John Eastman's home. And there's, you know, master artist artworks on the walls and gold records this beautiful room so we walk in and it's filled with celebrities there's uh, Lorne Michaels from Saturday Night Live Alec Baldwin uh, Conan O'Brien um, Judy Collins uh, Woody Harrelson a bunch of celebrities and everybody they say okay quiet down quiet down and the elevator door opens and Paul walks in and everyone applauds and so it's a little cocktail hour and then we go into this giant room with the longest, most beautiful antique dining room table. We all sit down and we have a white glove dinner served to us. And, and you know, we did. it was all friends and family of Paul. So there were no pictures, no autographs. And so it's like, how am I going to prove I was here? So there were a pile of green napkins with the Eastman uh, family crest imprinted on it. So I grabbed a handful of those. And so that's my only proof that we were there with Paul. And it was, you know what? It was just so nice because Paul was just relaxed. He wasn't being his stage, Paul. He was just with his friends, uh, you know, and it was an amazing, unforgettable evening. And Stephanie was correct. Something better happened. I got to spend like three hours having dinner with Paul McCartney and talking and and that was one of the many times I got to meet him. I interviewed him in 1990 at Sullivan Stadium in Boston, in Foxborough, Mass. I interviewed him before the show in his trailer. He, I brought a bunch of collectibles. He signed all kinds of collectibles for me, including a Hoffner bass. Oh, uh, no way. Yeah, so we spent time there, and then I interviewed him on the phone. In 1986, I went to New York and went to the Park Plaza Hotel, where I was a part of a radio junket where... The night before, we watched uh, Give My Regards to Broad Street. And then the next day, everybody who was in for this junket, all the DJs, uh, had 10 minutes with Paul. 
and the, he had the whole floor and they we all the DJs were lined up outside his his suite and one by one they took us in so I went in with another guy from the radio station sat down with Paul there was a photographer taking pictures there was a reel to reel machine there right so it was okay. it was all done perfectly so we walk in we start the interview the guy takes pictures we finish the interview 10 minutes they take the reel off the machine they hand it to us here's your interview the photographer takes my address we're going to mail you your photo and uh and we were done linda was there it was the most amazing time so i was very very lucky with paul and if you would allow me i'll tell you about ringo please please do ringo and i um i'm not going to say we're friends but he knows me because of my name and if you listen to my show, I have a bunch of IDs where he makes fun of my name. He goes, Chachi, Chachi, you have a weirder name than I do. So, and, and every time he comes to Boston, I know his tour manager. His tour manager lives in this area and he listens to my show. And so, and I, and I work with, you know, Neil, who's Ringo's art guy, and Scott, who sells Ringo's art. And so every year Ringo comes in and we say hi and he always remembers my name so i interviewed ringo probably seven or eight times over the years oh wow yeah and so and he autographed a bunch of things for me before uh his mandate of no more autographs yeah before the the peace and love I'm yes warning you with yes. peace and love i've got too much to do and so uh <laughs> this and, is a serious <laughs> message but you know i can quote that video in nearly verbatim and I, I, my friend and i do it to each other often well what's the date october what do you remember because yeah. I, I after the 20th of october <laughs> there you go and every october it'll, around the 20th it will be tossed it will be tossed i'm too busy uh but i did interview george you know my favorite beetle i only interviewed him once and it was over the phone unfortunately and but I will tell you, the experience of hearing George's distinct Liverpudlian accent, which is different from the other three, it was just something about yeah. his voice. And so it was around the Traveling Wilburys, and so I had the chance to interview him over the phone. He was originating out of Hawaii, and he was so kind. Uh, we talked for a while. We had some fun, and I say, so uh, you guys are going to go on tour? You know, Larry, he was calling me Larry, my real name. You know, Larry, uh, we will be going on tour. And I said, well, you, will you be packing sandwiches? And he, goes, he starts, of course, we, the Wilburys always pack sandwiches when we go on the road. And, and so after the interview, the record company guy came in and, a couple days later and said, listen, you know, George loved the interview and he knows you're a big fan. So he told me that if you'd like an autographed album, to get one and give it to the record guy. The record guy would mail it to George and about three weeks later in the mail, and I gave him more than one. I gave him like five albums. And uh, I get a box in the mail at the radio station and there are the albums all autographed by George. Which albums were they? Uh, a bunch of different ones. Uh, Help, um, The Traveling Wilburys, um, what's the other one? Because they're all scattered around my house. But there were a bunch of them. And uh, I did give two of them to the bosses at the radio station who helped set it up. Uh, but uh, I also have February 24th Newsweek magazine autographed. And uh, I have the I Me Mind book autographed. So anyway, George was... The point is, 
he didn't have to do any of that. We're talking about a Beatle, right? And yeah. he made it a point to say, send some albums and I'll sign them for, for Larry. And uh, so what an amazing experience. That's, that's just fantastic. And the fact that I can't remember each title is, is stupid because I should. Uh, but I have a bunch of Beatle autographs. So I'm very, very blessed. Do you have any that are signed by more than one of them? Yes, I have. Uh, I have a copy of one copy of Newsweek from February twenty fourth, nineteen sixty four, signed by Ringo, and Paul. It says "Cheers to Chachi" on it. We have that. Um, I have a. Um, I want to hold your hand. Um, Forty five signed by Ringo. Um, what else? Uh, I'm gonna forget. It's just because I know we're, we're taping and I'm. It's slipping my mind. Oh, I have sheet music autographed by Paul. She loves you. Uh, which he signed for me. I, I can't even imagine having so many Beatle autographs that, like, you can't remember which Beatle autographs Yeah, it is amazing. That um, is that is incredible. And it will come to me when I'm off the air, but, you know, unfortunately, I don't have John's, but I have many Yoko autographs. I've, I've interviewed Yoko almost a dozen times. She was awesome, and she autographed a bunch of different things for me. Um, so listen, I'm a lucky guy. I don't, I don't mean to brag, but I think, you know, the Beatles community, it doesn't come across, you know, whenever I hear people say, I have this, I have that, I share in the joy. So I hope people who are listening are sharing in the joy and not saying, what a braggadocious. <laughs> so. Well, if, if somebody gave you those Butcher albums, if you ever decide to pass it forward, yeah. the, the spirit of goodwill, you know, I'll send you my address. Yes, you know, I, I will do that. But listen, uh, you know, I speak at Suffolk University all the time. They have a Beatles class there, and I bring a bunch of my collectibles. And the kids, the, the freshmen, they're all, all freshmen in this course. And they love two things that I bring. And I bring a Beatle wig, I bring Beatle napkins, cards, I mean, all kinds of Beatles stuff. There's two things they love. There's a little book called Love Letters to the Beatles. They love to read those. And they love to see what a butcher cover is. And I bring one with the paste over, and then I pull the paste over off of it, and they're just astounded by butcher covers. So um, the college kids today love that. Well, I, I think the, the whole butcher cover story is one of the greatest stories mm -hmm. in rock and roll history. Yeah. And, you know, one time, a bunch of years ago, I got an email from a listener and he said, listen, can I come to the station and see you? I, I bought something, and I need you to look at it. And um, it's a Beatle thing. It's really rare. I said, okay, yeah, come by. So, because um, I always accommodate my listeners. And so he came to the radio station, and listen to this, Ethan. This wasn't that long ago either. He, okay. would, he would go to a place called Lawrence, Massachusetts, and there was a giant secondhand store there. And every Wednesday, they would get albums. And all the local record dealers would go there to scoop up any the rare vultures. albums. To, yeah, because they wanted to sell them. And he, and he would go there every Wednesday morning to see what came in. And so one morning, and he brought them both in. One morning he finds a pristine copy of Meet the Beatles uh, with a slightly different color in the words Meet the Beatles. I don't know, I can't recall exactly what that was all about. But he bought that for a dollar. And he bought a, a original Yesterday and Today album without the paste over. Perfect. In perfect condition. He It was there. He bought it for one dollar. Hold on. Like a first state yep. butcher cover. Correct. And it was for a, perfect. For a, Oh my God. Perfect. And he said, you're going to flip out when you see this. And I tell you, Ethan, the corners, 
nothing. It was a pristine copy. And he bought it for a dollar. And he put it in the middle of a bunch of other albums so the cashier would just breeze by it, not even recognize that this is super rare. And he just put it in the middle. And then he goes outside after he bought it. He shows the other record dealers. And they go all running in, trying to find another one. And he brought it in to show me. And I told the guy, I said, dude, you just hit the lottery. You bought a $1 lottery ticket. This is worth a lot of money. I've never, well, I have seen a couple of really good ones, but this one was pristine. That is. That shit don't happen anymore. You know, you used to be yeah. able, back in the 70s and the 80s, you'd be able to go to yard sales. There'd be Beatles stuff there and you'd just buy everything. But it's rare nowadays because people know Beatles equals, yeah. you know, value. Well, that that's why you see, like, ah, I have an old copy of Sgt. Pepper. Mm -hmm. I'll sell it to you for five hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, see, I, I have a Paul McCartney. I have a Paul McCartney Sgt. Pepper autographed album, so it's all coming back oh, to me. Oh, there, you throw that in there. <laughs> Just gotta, if you don't mind me bragging on fans, I on the I don't mind you bragging at all. <laughs> the show's about you, Chachi. Well, thank you, thank you. I do have a copy of the I Me Mind book. You know, the one that's hardcover. Yeah. Um, I bought this in 1979. I, I ordered it uh, early, so it cost me uh, a little bit over $200. And okay. I got number 886, autographed by George, and today it was worth like five or 6000 But I, I'm not going to sell any of this stuff. And when I'm gone, my uh, lovely wife, Stephanie, who is a Bee Gees fanatic, she'll get all this stuff, and she'll do what she wants with it. She's a Bee Gees fanatic. Yes, she's. And, and she, she's. You work. live in Boston. Yes. Um, I I could make a very obvious pun. Yes. But uh, I'm not going to. Well, I will do it because we've talked about whenever my show, if it ever ends up on April Fool's Day, she will host Breakfast with the Bee Gees, and uh, so I don't know if that was the joke. But she, she, my wife worked at Warner Brothers Records in New York City for many years. Oh, no, years. I was going to make oh. a, a Massachusetts joke. Oh, go ahead. Oh, Massachusetts, yeah. there you go, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will tell I you. You think I'm going back. <laughs> but she, and I love the Bee Gees too. And, you know, so Steph worked at Warner Brothers Records for many years and worked with the Bee Gees. She has many pictures with them. And uh, a few years ago, 2015, uh, Barry was putting out his... Uh, new um solo album and the local record promote the local um live nation guy he was barry gibb was playing the boston garden and so he called me and said do you want to interview barry for your beatles show because there are some Beatles, you know ties there and i said yes and i told steph so we arranged that steph and i would interview barry gibb and it was a great interview because steph was so you know knows so much and and barry was so impressed so in the interview, I said to Barry, I said, you know, I always sing Run To Me to Stephanie because she's uh, much younger than I am. And, uh, you know, now and then you need someone older. So he laughed. That's great, Chachi. That's great. And so we did the interview. And then a month later, he was playing the Boston Garden. And so we were in, he, he said during the interview, you guys got to come to the show and come backstage. I want to say hi. Because uh, we had told Barry that, you know, that our wedding uh, song was the song won by the Bee Gees and he loved that so so we get to the uh, Boston Garden that night with our Live Nation guy and he brings us backstage and uh, Barry's manager is standing there saying 
Where have you been? Barry and his wife uh, have been waiting for you all day. As soon as they arrived, they said, has Chachi and Stephanie showed up yet? So anyway, Barry comes out with his wife. I think Linda was the name. And they're, we're talking and we had such fun. And Barry was just so awesome. So here's the, here's the, the end of the story. We're watching the show. And I remember a month ago, I mentioned the Run To Me part. And so he's up on stage and he's dedicating songs to his brothers. He dedicated a song to his wife. And we're standing there and all of a sudden he says, and I have this on tape, he says, this next song goes out to Stephanie and Chachi and we just met backstage and we've become good friends. And he sings Run To Me. So it's pretty, oh, wow. yeah. And we have it all on tape. It's pretty amazing. So that's my Bee Gees story. We're... we're that is the first Bee Gees story I've had on the show. Well, it's here in Massachusetts. There's another yeah. pun for you. Because <laughs> if, if you, you know, lived in New York, I could make a New York mining disaster. That's right. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if it's a holiday today, we, well, that's a bad joke. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll ask you, um, what, what do the Beatles mean to you? Well, I will tell you, um, and I've met a few people, and, and you have too. The Beatles have changed the course of many people's lives, whether it's in fashion, in in uh, uh, media, photography, music, uh, instrument. They dict they dictated your life's course. So, the Beatles have dominated my life since 1964. In my darkest days, their music you know, has brought joy. And, uh, and, this, this, and this is what happened. As a, I was very lucky, because as a young kid, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. You know, most kids, a lot of people go a lot, you know, 20, 25 years until they realize what they, what they want to do in their life. But I will tell you, by 1970, I realized, you know, because in the 60s, you, don't want, you wanted to be a Beatle, but there are already four Beatles. And yeah. you could never be a Beatle. But, you know, I would listen to the radio all the time and read newspapers and magazines. And I thought, you know, these people are interviewing the Beatles. I want to be a DJ so I can interview the Beatles. So in 1968, 69, I would read books about how to become a DJ. In 1970, I started listening to WBCN radio in Boston, which was one of the very first FM radio stations and they would play anything and everything it was free form it was radio the way it should be and we had they had some fantastic disc jockeys really controversial disc jockeys playing everything from frank zappa to the beatles to beethoven you could hear anything at any one time and so in the 70s i would listen to wbcn all the time and my goal was to be a dj in the 60s in the 70s, I wanted to work at WBCN. In 1981, I got a job there. So because of the Beatles, it determined my life course. And here I am 39 years later, still on the radio. I can't believe I've had a Beatles show for 25 years. And it's not about me. I, the show is about the Beatles. I don't sit there and try to, you know, me, 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 me. No, the show is about the Beatles. You can save that for fans on the run. That's right. This is where I can, you know splurge on all that but it's all about the music and so it determined who i am in my life what i do and i consider myself to be uh you know a really lucky guy because of the beatles it's it's just an amazing thing um you, you brought up you know wanting to be a dj 
do you have any you know specific or were there any like specific DJs that really inspired you yes. to want to yes in the yeah. in the 60s I was I always had an AM radio so you know I would listen to the good guys on WMEX like Larry oh, Justice yeah. and all these guys but in the 70s Charles Laquadera now if you look up the name Charles Laquadera he was a groundbreaking disc jockey who worked at WBCN for a couple of decades he actually quit for a year to, to just do cocaine for a year and he'll tell you this uh, oh. <laughs> then he came back and he's very well known across the country he always does live Facebook feeds to this day and so he was he in I would tell you Howard Stern has credited him because uh, Howard went to Boston University and he would he has said that he would listen to BCN all the time and he loved Charles Laquadera. And Howard even came to WBCN as a college kid with a tape and dropped it off. And my boss at the time told him, nah, this isn't what we do really. Uh, you, you don't have the right sound. And But years later, he did come to BCN when Charles left and he was our morning guy for a long time. I got to work with Howard, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, Howard Stern, as far as talk radio, Charles Laquadera, Ken Shelton, Mark Parento. I mean, these were groundbreaking DJs in Boston that I grew up with. And them and the Beatles just brought me to where I am today with my career. How have the Beatles changed your life? Well, I, uh, <laughs> I'd probably be working at the supermarket or something if it wasn't for the Beatles. And, um, but it changed my life in so many different ways that... Uh, my day-to-day there isn't a day that goes by where i'm not thinking or talking about the beatles preparing for my next show answering questions about the beatles uh it is a big part of my life um the two greatest things were meeting my wife at wbcn and marrying stephanie and and just man it, it was the greatest thing ethan even though the beatles broke up the early 70s were amazing because you had all these solo Beatle albums on the charts and yeah. and man it's like just... for a while it was like an album from each of them or two a year yeah and they're all on the charts battling for the top 10 and that was fantastic so you know not a day goes by where I'm not working on something Beatle related Eric Taros and I are working on a film documentary and my podcast called Get Back to the Beatles and my radio show pod. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's it's not it's not like other pods. I'm not an analyst type guy, and there's a lot of analyzing podcasts out there that will analyze each track. But I'm a I'm a radio guy. I'm an interview guy, so I love interviewing people. And the, my podcast is predominantly interviews. Although we have done explorations of the White Album, those kinds of things. Uh, my co-host is actually the the teacher of the Beatles course at Suffolk University, David Gallant. Um, so yeah, yeah, my he's my co-host for the podcast. So and you know other podcast and it's all good. I love analyzing and uh, but I'm an interview guy. I love talking to people, especially first generation Beatle fans or people who have met the Beatles or work with the Beatles. Um, so uh, you know, and my radio show runs in three New England states: Massachusetts, Maine, and New Hampshire. So I'm happy about that. And uh, so it's changed my life a lot. Well, now, now we get into my favorite part of the show, mm-hmm. uh, the the poorly uh, dubbed quick fire questions. I love because those. because uh, the questions are quick, but the answers are almost always not. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> you already said your favorite Beatles album is Meet the Beatles. Correct. What is your least favorite Beatles album? Now, how can you ask that question? Because I, I don't I've have asked a... it about 58 times. Now, so do people far. answer that question? Oh, yeah. They do. I, I can answer it. it. So, but okay, before you answer it, I was I was brought up on the American albums. And yeah. my you show. You can pick from either the British or the American or anything. Okay. If, if you're even having a hard time, you can pick a compilation. Uh, yeah, I'll pick a compilation, rock and roll music with that ghastly cover uh, in the yeah, 70s. The, the silver foil oh, thing. Oh, my God. Um, Happy days. <laughs> yes. So my my show is based on the American albums. Uh, I can't even remember when I really I realized that there were UK albums. So whenever I play Beatle music, predominantly, I'm not saying all the time, predominantly I play the American albums, Beatles 6 and Beatles 65, but I, I'm sitting here thinking of the Beatles catalog, just the 60s albums, and I'm sorry, I, I don't have a least favorite, I love them all, um, I don't think I can answer that question, See, <laughs> sorry. The, the go-to answer yes. that I say is like the correct answer on this show okay. is uh, Let It Be, I, I bash that album a lot. <sighs> It, it's 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 a bit of a weak album in my well, opinion. I suppose you could say that, but I do love I've Got a Feeling, One After Nine Oh Nine, Dig a Pony. Oh, uh, I mean mine's one of my favorite Beatles songs. Yeah, and and really with that said, and you and you still it's well it's your least favorite. It's not that you hate the Let yeah. It Be album. No, it's they're the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I, I hold the music to a bit of a higher standard sure. than maybe other bands. Sure. Sure. You know. My my least favorite Beatles album I still probably enjoy more than my like favorite Rolling Stones album, and I love the Stones. Mm. You know, maybe I will. Maybe I should say this. I mean, there are some really overplayed Beatles songs. There are songs well, that, I, that I'll I was play. Gonna get to that. Yeah, there are songs that I play like once a year because they're overplayed. Like "Come Together," um, uh, that's a song that uh, I won't play often. "Yesterday." Uh, so there's a handful of overplayed out uh, songs. You know, it's not like I'll, pu I'll, I'll put the needle down on Abbey Road to hear Come Together. So um, maybe that's a clue as to my least favorite Beatle album. But I, I love them all. They're all just treasures to me. Um, what is your, and I, I can already tell I'm going to ask this question, uh, what is your favorite Beatles song? Well, um, there's a handful. I Feel Fine every time I hear that it's well which great. which version of I feel fine from Beatles 65 the one with all the American reverb yes I was brought up on that Capitol Records stereo <laughs> you you were brought up by the by the work of Dave Dexter Jr. Mr. Dexter Jr. who hated the Beatles but man I love the sizzle of Ringo's drums and actually have you ever read that I think it was that op-ed he did after John Lennon died. Yes. What an asshole. Oh, I know. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I love I Feel Fine, and what was, I was just about to say something, and now I forgot, but, um, yeah, and, you know, and so one, of the, one time I interviewed Ringo, and uh, I said, Ringo, man, you know, I'm a drummer, and uh, and I have a drum kit looks just like yours in my house. I never play. You, you should play you it, Chachi. the the... Ludwig yes. Black Oyster Pearl. Yes. 
and oh, so, and awesome. but I never play it. He's like, you should play. Well, that I'm sometime. I'm a drummer too. Oh, you are. So you'll yeah. love this story. So I said to him, you know, in the movie Help, the opening scene where you guys are playing, and you know they're throwing the dots at the screen, and your wrist is going so fast on that symbol. It's like, you're amazing. You're, and he goes, well, you know, Chachi, I had a lot of practice with my wrists when I was a kid, you know. And so I'm sitting there going, my God, a beetle just made a masturbation joke. And, uh, and so <laughs> I have that on tape. For, <laughs> and he started like, you know, I had a lot of practice when I was a kid with me wrists, you know. <laughs> and so I was like, wow, that's pretty funny. A beetle's just making a, a self-pleasure joke with me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, I I'm trying to figure out, you know. You need a follow-up question to that. Well, yeah. What was oh. your so what was because you were gonna say you no know, you did say your least favorite album right? Yeah. What was it? Sorry. Uh, let it be. Let it be. Right, right, right. Okay. So what's your favorite? Oh, you were asking me my favorite song. So I feel fine. I'll cry instead. I've got a feeling. Uh, what do you tell me? What yours is? Your favorite song? My my go-to answer for the last little while has been "It's All Too Much." Really? Yeah. Wow, interesting. A, it, it's a, kind of been a tie between that, "Only a Northern Song," and "Tomorrow Never Knows." And she said, "She said." Wow, good for you. Wow, it's all too much. Interesting. Do you do you like the long version or the short version? Either long. Yeah. I always play I, the I'm eight just a big fan version. of psych rock. Oh, oh, there you go. Okay, well that's yeah. perfect then. It's perfect for you. It's, you know, the Beatles' take on one of those, you know, 24-hour happening freak-out things that mm -hmm. they were doing in London. Yeah. And it's, they did it spot on. They sure did. They sure did, man. That's a great answer. And uh, he, he said there's uh, overplayed songs. Do you have a least favorite Beatles song? You know, I'm going to have to go with come together only because I, I've heard it so much. I mean, radio stations would just play that over and over again. Hey Jude, when I hear it, it brings me right back to when I first heard it. But I realize, you know, a lot of people think that's overplayed. So I'll, when I play Hey Jude, I'll play an alternate version of it, not the, uh, yeah. the original version. Uh, so that might be a little bit overplayed. Um, yesterday, maybe a little bit overplayed. Um, so that's that. And and lastly, since I, I don't normally ask this uh, quick fire question, but since this is my special uh, farewell for a month show, I'll ask, what's your favorite Beatle film? Hard Day's Night. I love A Hard Day's Night. We could, if you want to do the film with me, we have all, the, I know the dialogue back and forth. In fact, there's a book here on my bookshelf called it's called the hard day's night obviously but inside this book i don't know if you ever saw it has every frame picture of each frame uh all the lines and then the position of the cameras filming information and it's my go-to bible and i like when i i have a treadmill in my office here so i'll treadmill watching a hard day's night i've seen it hundreds of times uh, i'm a hard day's night guy it's just amazing and, you know, I, I interviewed Ringo, and I said, I love that movie. You want to know my favorite scene? Is that what you're going to ask me? And I said, yeah, what's your favorite scene? Well, we were out at a nightclub all night, and uh, we didn't even get to bed. And the next morning, we had an early shoot. It's the scene with me and the, the young boy walking along the river there. I love that scene. 
And I'm like, that's great. I love that scene too. Because, yeah, you know, did you notice how I looked? I was up all night drinking. And I'm, and you know what, Ethan? Here's these guys, these four guys, just noose. They were just so confident. If it was you and me, we'd be home in bed early. We have an early show, an early, uh, you know, we have to be on the set at 6 a.m. These guys are out all night, didn't care. And they were just... They knew who they were, what they were they're doing. They're the fucking Beatles. They can do it. I know. And he did look pretty wasted. He told me, he said, yeah. oh, I was so wasted that morning. I had a headache. And uh, But yeah, that's my favorite scene. Oh, I love when you had your jacket. Oh, yeah, the girl fell in the hole. That was great, too, you know. <laughs> but yeah, Hot Day's Night. What about you? Um, Again, I, I, it's hard to pick either Hard Day's Night or Help. Because... I, I love those two so much. Me too. But I, I find myself going back to help more. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I wouldn't say it's a better movie. I'd say A Hard Day's Night is, you know, a well-written, mm-hmm. it's like a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. It's just help is mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, years later we found out, man, they were all, they were all high. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and it make it makes more sense. It does, and so uh, yeah. you know for a oh, while. Ho ho <laughs> ho! <laughs> You've got everyone the pot laughs pole. at Ringo's sudden apprehension. I know. <laughs> Get me protection. Uh, so uh, for a while back in the day, uh, because they were high, we would get high and watch it. So. Um, <laughs> made it even funnier. But you're right. I love a help. And I saw that at a drive-in movie when I was a kid when it first came out in Cambridge. And uh, I was blown away by help. You know, it was in color. And it was a, a lot of fun. And uh, the the home where they lived in. I mean, so many great scenes there, you know. Never you mind. <laughs> it's I, I want to live in a house where I have a man there and his sole job is to cut my grass with one of those, like, chattering teeth. Yes, with a, a set of false teeth. And then, you know, you have the vending machines, which are always fun. Yeah. And the, the organ that comes up from the ground. That's correct. And uh, John's uh, bed in, in the floor, you know. So, great movie, a lot of fun, and I just love that film. And, and now, I, I turn it over to you. Where can people find you and your show? Oh, well, thank you. My show is called Breakfast with the Beatles, but we also call it New England's Breakfast with the Beatles. It's heard in three states on Saturday mornings from 6 to 8 a.m. on WUMB 91.9 FM, WUMB.org. You can hear it streamed. And then on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. till noon on Seacoast Oldies 92.1 and 97.1 in New Hampshire and Maine. And then on early Sunday mornings on WMEX, the station I listened to as a kid on AM is still on the air, so I call in about 7.30 AM every Sunday morning to WMEX, the Gary Levitt and Friends show, and I tell a Beatles story, uh, so I do that. Um, so there's where you can find me, all out of Boston. So Breakfast with the Beatles Chachi, we're about to debut a brand new website, uh, and uh, people can find all my shows there as well. So it's, I tell you, man, it blows me away that I have a Beatles show all these years later. It's just crazy, you know. And especially such uh, a long-running one such as yours. Yeah, I started like in the 80s. Uh, it was so interesting because, you know, it was at WBCN, which is, uh, you know, groundbreaking historic station, no longer exists. And I was a promotion director. Um, and even then I realized, you know, you can be a DJ, but... You should have a front office job too, because at some point you get older and they'll move the DJs out, you know. 
And so I managed to get a front office job, the promotion director's job. And so what happened one day, uh, the program director was in the hallway and he said, hey, um, I heard you're a Beatles fan. I said, yep, what do you want to know? And he goes, well, you, you know a lot, you have all the, I said, yeah, I have everything. What do you want to know? He goes, no, it's not what I want to know. Uh, I'm going to give you a Beatles show. You start this Sunday night from 6 to 8 p.m. And so we named the show back then, Get Back to the Beatles, which is a name I kept. Uh, and then that, that uh, morphed into Get uh, to Breakfast with the Beatles, and I've had a Beatles show ever since. And there you go. I got the show only because he heard I was a collector and I knew a lot about the Beatles. And next thing you know, I'm on the radio with a show. So like a lot of things, things just timing and luck, you know. And I'll, I'll give my little spiel since I, I have to do it. Please. Um, all right. This is always a tongue twister, but let, let's give this a whirl. Go ahead. If you're listening to this on YouTube, which a lot of you seem to do, um, please hit that subscribe button if you already haven't. Yes. And also hit that bell notification icon so you get notified every time a new episode gets uploaded. And you know what? In my absence, I may even upload an- some other things. I may have some other things lined up. But... Well, you know, that's a mystery. Um, you know, we're, we're available streaming, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbay, Podbean, every, every, basically every site with the word pod. Oh, my God. We're, we're there. I had no we're idea there. there were so many. I I didn't either until I <laughs> had a podcast. Now, let me ask you. You're going to take a month off. What are you going to do? I'm probably going to sleep. Now, what if Plastic EP calls you and wants you on the show? Are you going to say no or are you going to say yes? No comment. (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure. He raves about you. And he told me to say a couple of things to you, and I forget what he said. Okay, Uh, I... Something about the theme song, maybe? Yeah, I I know exactly what he's going (laughs) to want you to say. And, uh... You know, just just tell him you said it. It doesn't matter if he did or not. Yeah, because he probably won't listen. But he, I do have it in a text from him. I just, I don't, I want, I don't want to take up time looking for it. But something about um, you had spooky theme music. Apparently, it, it's not spooky. <laughs> it, it's gonna get spookier when I come back because I am changing the theme music, and it's gonna be a psychedelic nightmare. It's beautiful. Well, that makes sense for you. You're a psych guy, so that's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And plus, I'm I'm crazy. And you're originating out of Canada. Yeah. And have you ever seen any of the Beatles live in concert? Yes. And who did you see, Paul? Yeah. Ringo? Yep. Very good. I saw George in 74 at the Boston Garden for Dark Horse. Uh, the Dark Horse. And that is tour. the show where I first smelled marijuana. I was a very sheltered kid. And it's like, what's that smell? <laughs> it was at a George Harrison show. And I think that's a beautiful way to end the show. <laughs> you know, Ethan, I, I hope this was okay. I enjoyed being with you. I wish you a happy vacation. And you know what? At some point, we're going to have you on my show. So I will return the favor. I, I, I would love to. And I will it, ask you I, questions that you I'll can't probably answer. be pretty free for the next month or so. Well, I don't want to bother you on your vacation if you're yeah. out traveling or just staying yeah. home. What's COVID like up there? Are you staying safe? Is it a mess up yeah. there? Yeah. Good. As we, we just exited our second lockdown. Uh, well, I am going to be leaving my house momentarily to go to Marshfield to meet Fred Sullivan, where he's apparently going to bestow a Beatles gift on me. So we'll see what it oh. is. 
oh, please text me when you find out what it is, because now you have me invested. I will definitely text you. I'll take a picture of it and send it to you as well. We'll see what it is. I hope it's another butcher cover. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'll, I'll send you my address. I will do that. Pleasure um, to speak to you, Ethan. Pleasure to speak to you, too, and to everyone else out there. You won't hear me say this for months, so savor it now. You can go home. Dance on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.